Hey there everybody, I just wanted to take a minute and thank Anchor. They are an easy to use system that allows me to record my podcast and distribute it, not just on Spotify, but on a bunch of other places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify of course, Stitcher, you name it, I'm pretty much there, all thanks to Anchor. Give it a try if you want to record your own, uh, just check out anchor.fm. Alright, thanks for listening, here is the Deep Note. All right, welcome to the Deep Note. Tonight, I have a special guest with me. His name is... Sid Raspberry. That's right. Tonight on the Deep Note, we're going to discuss The Wall, why it is or is not or might be the best album ever. Um, why I, I would say it is the best album of all time, the greatest album of all time. I thought and we... And the best. I thought we agreed that... They might be giants. Here come the ABCs. Yeah, yeah, that one was pretty good. <laughs> that was a good album. <laughs> um, so, Sid, we're going to start off. I want you to tell people a little bit about who you are, what you do, who you is, etc. Um, well, my name is Sid Raspberry. Raspberry? No, Raspberry. Just normal. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for 20 years. I've been in the education industry for. 20 years and um, I'm a musician. I've been in two very successful bands. Just go to YouTube or no, to Spotify and you'll see that both of the albums that I was a part of have maybe 15 or 16 views each, the sentence and all that. So very successful. And um, I am, I work uh, in my church. I, uh, the school i have two kids would you say you're an influencer uh like a youtube influencer like tiktok influencer maybe you just influence people i i influence people live not not via the internet so, oh yeah I'm, I'm nowhere i'm nowhere on the internet i'm not represented fantastic yes. you're a unique demographic yes um mm-hmm. so what are the the bands that you were in um, well, the first band that made an album was named Huckleberry's Dolphin. We had an album called Bloppy Three, and um, that's on Spotify. I just uploaded it uh, maybe a year ago or so after I found it in a drawer somewhere. Great. And then the second band I was in was called The Walkin' Walkers, uh, and that was uh, where I was the guitar player and lead singer. The Huckleberry's Dolphin, I was the lead singer and the drummer, along with my friend Salad Bombeco and WP Neal. And then in the Walkin' Walkers, I was the lead singer and the guitar player with my friends um, Miguel Rodriguez and uh, Racky Pants. That was our drummer. Racky Pants? Racky Pants. Yeah, she was good. Um, And Jeff America. It's a unique lineup. Yep. Awesome. So, okay, so obviously music has played a pretty big part in your life. Yeah. I would say it has. Can you tell me a little bit about how this has influenced you? What what role music played from a young age? Were you picked on a lot as a kid? Were you no the scrawny kid, not good at sports? No, 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 no. I get a date. No, no. <laughs> I was um, I was that kid that didn't have a click. I uh, I used to like when I was in fourth grade. I was Garfield and I slept in a box for a couple nights until that wasn't very comfortable anymore. Um, and then when I was in seventh grade, I became Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties and I was a nerd and all that. I uh, watched the show uh, all the time. And then um, in my freshman year of high school, I was uh, Megatron and I would go through the quad of my of St. Francis High School. That's where I went to school. And I would hide behind trees and blast people with my blaster. <laughs> and um, then I would hang out with whoever. I would go and have lunch with whoever, whatever group I, I didn't like. I didn't. I, I wasn't aware of any any groups at that point. I was just kind of in my own world, and you know, where there was the jock group or the nerd group. I don't know. I had no idea. I just like hung out with whoever. So I was just in any group, and uh, and so. But I was, I was bullied, I guess, you know, a couple of football players. I got some good bullying stories, some good anti-bullying stories. Anti-bullying? Yes. You beat up the bullies or what? Yeah, but I don't want to go into that. All right, fine. But uh, 
Um, I was a little psycho. I was called Psycho Sid because I played soccer and I was really crazy. But um, uh, but I didn't really know anything about music at all until my junior year. So my soft my my sophomore year, I'd say I became really angry, and I I started beating kids up at school, and I was getting beat up too. We all we, that was the climate. Everyone just beat each other up. So I had the kids that I picked on, and then I was the kid that a couple of the football players picked on and um everyone was just angry so it was reaganomics but for bullying yeah trickle down trickle down right so then i um which was whatever it it wasn't like a problem because it was just how it was right and we would fight and, and it was fine you know that was just the culture um but i hadn't even heard of music i mean i heard music played on the radio but it what it never really entered my awareness until my junior year i was 15 no it was sophomore year i got a job at little caesars on my first job and i met some friends uh these four girls and um they intro they introduced me to mtv that was the first my first uh exposure to music and the first song i saw on mtv was um crowded house um i forget the song it wasn't don't dream it's over it was the other song the one just before that one Mm. but i forgot it i haven't heard it since then but the first song that really did something for me was learning to fly by pink floyd oh wow yeah so that was on like a momentary lapse of reason so a momentary lapse of reason had just come out and so by that point pink floyd had already broken up right the no more Roger Waters was mm-hmm. he wasn't in the group anymore. So <clears throat> that was the first song. And I was like, like, what is this song? And like, of course, you know, it was all David Gilmore and guitar solos and freaking awesome. And I was like enthralled and just blown away. And and then my junior year, that's when I started learning how to play drums. And I played in the class in the band school band the marching band i was a snare drummer and i was in the jazz band then i learned how to play stand-up bass in the jazz band and then i just picked up a guitar like a guitar one day and started fiddling around with that because my dad had a bunch of guitars and uh just taught myself how to play guitar wow so you're self-taught how to play guitar yes wow and there was no internet so i just i i found a piece of paper that had chords on it and uh, I had an acoustic guitar and nylon string, and I just, uh, you know, it was all out of tune because I didn't know how to tune it or what what tuning even was. Um, and I just started playing it. And it wasn't until I started playing stand-up bass that I learned that you actually have to tune the <laughs> instrument. And so I learned how to tune the guitar and then uh, just started learning the chords and writing songs. I never learned covers. I just wrote songs. I think the first song I ever wrote was called my girlfriend's a stegosaurus and there was one called the parrot song where i sing about my mom who's crazy and we had a parrot who died that was my song yes so there you go there you go are those recorded anywhere where people can listen to them those songs no unfortunately (laughs) those never got recorded but (laughs) we'll have to fix that (laughs) (laughs) i still know the songs all right i still know all the words you still have an opportunity (laughs) yeah i can make it big It'll be my one hit wonder. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's kind of how music, music got you into music. Yeah. Music got me into music. Um, and then like when I was in high school, like my mind was like empty, you know, like I was not, not like I was dumb, but I was, you know, like, like when my dad would drive me to school, you know, in St. Francis, which was in Mountain View. And I grew up in Redwood city, which is, you know, it's, it's a drive. Right. And, uh, I would sit there and I would just stare out the window and my dad would say like, what are you thinking about? I would say like nothing, like there was nothing, you know, and I think he thought like, I just didn't want to tell him, but honestly, there was just nothing in my head. It was just quiet and empty, Hmm. right? Empty of thought. And when I heard you know, started hearing music on, you know, MTV and, and, you know, those first songs I heard 
Like this was back in, I don't even remember, 1980, what, seven or eight? Like it was like Heart with their song Alone and uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me from Def Leppard. And, you know, like that, that was like the year of those songs or <laughs> yeah. whatever. And all of a sudden, like my mind is now filled with just song, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I start, you know, picking up a guitar and start like fiddling with it, I just start hearing melodies in my head and I just start hearing, uh, you know, drum parts and guitar parts and vocal parts. And it just started like happening where I was just creating songs in my head. And um, yeah. And so then I just wrote songs and, you know, and it was, it was kind of crazy how that worked. Wow. Yeah. That's it still cool. happens. Like I just like I'm at home and I just, I, I play a guitar part and like what will happen is like when I write a song, like I'll, I'll take a guitar and I'll just start playing a riff and then I'll play that riff and that riff will get in my head and then I'll hear the bass part to that riff and the drums to that riff and the vocals will start coming and they just start coming to me. I don't have to sit necessarily and think about it. They just start coming to me like, like different, you know, ideas for, for words and the melody. And then it just like forms kind of organically. It's really kind of crazy. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, just to interject and give credit where credit is due. It was actually, so I've been friends with Sid for a long time. It was during the pandemic. I used to play guitar when I was young. I played classical. I played viola. I played many things. Viola? I, I played, I was second chair. That's not even an instrument. It's half an it's, it's <laughs> one and a half instruments. But I had given up on music until the pandemic. And then I wrote what is possibly the greatest country song. And Sid helped me record it. And then he inspired me to learn. So he's been, you know, reteaching me uh, guitar and bass and everything yeah. like that since. So. If anybody needs a good teacher, ask Sid. Thank you. Excellent. So I want to get into the next part. We might have to break this up a little bit just for time reasons. You were talking about the song that opened your eyes to music. It was a Pink Floyd song. Yes. But why The Wall? Okay. So Which may or may not be the best album. No, it, it is. So, so obviously, you, you know, Learning to Fly, I hear that. And so I get the album. You know, I go to to Tower Records and I buy the um, the newly um, invented compact disc, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, and then, I'm, you know, I'm also, I buy these, you know, you know, cassettes and I'm trying to record things off the radio, but for some reason I never played that on the radio. So I listened to Momentary Lapse of Reason and it's just fantastic. Uh, the on, on the Turning Away, the guitar solo is just amazing. And then I'm like Pink Floyd, like they're, they're great. So I'm like, I'm going to buy Pink Floyd albums. So I, uh, the next album I bought was like Adam Hart Mother and it was just horrible. And I thought like, this can't be the same band. I don't know if you've ever heard of Adam Hart Mother, but it's horrible. It's, it's horrible. And um, then, then I get uh, Dark Side of the Moon and it's, amazing right this this album is so good and i'm just like this is this is like now i know now i understand this band like now this is what i wanted to to, to hear right this guitar solos you know from like the solo for time is just incredible and then there's the wall right and um somehow i don't even know how i heard of it i just like, like was in the, the tower records looking through Pink Floyd stuff. And there's like the wall and you know, the album is nothing. It's just a white album that looks like white brick and the wall written in red. And it's, I don't know if it's meant to look like blood or anything, but it just, you know, has that feel to it. Right. So I'm just like, yeah, like let's listen to this. And it's a double album. Mm -hmm. right? So there's two discs and that was, that was like, that was like reading the Harry Potter series. Like after I read the Harry Potter series, like every other book sucks, right? So I, 
I listened to that album and it, it was not, it wasn't a set of songs anymore. It was a whole story, you know, and the production, the sound quality, like it was so good. And I would listen to it on headphones. I would crank it up in my room and it was just so incredible. And, um, I was spoiled. Like after that, like other albums were okay, but they were just, they could never live up to the quality of, of writing, like how the instruments play off of each other, the crispness of sound, like all that, like no other animal, no other album could uh, compare um, to that album. That was, that's the pinnacle of music. And I've not yet gotten an album and heard an album that even comes close to like that level of production or that level of crispness of, of, of the songs and, and the storytelling. So, wow. Greatest album of all time. So that's why you say it. So what do you say to the haters who say no dark side of the moon? So the, the arguments that I've heard are that I've heard that the wall is both overproduced and rough. Well, that makes no sense. I agree. So, I'm just giving um, you an argument for argument's sake. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously it's not rough, but it's 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 not overproduced because it blends so well. Mm -hmm. And there isn't a like like when I look at an album and I listen to a new album, I think like, is there a song on this album that I skip, right? That I that I just move on. And there isn't an album out there that I listen to every song and I like every song and it's every song's great. Right. Uh, my favorite albums, right. Um, uh, Weezer's Pinkerton, right. That's probably their best album. After that, they just went downhill. Um, almost every song there's one or two that I'm like me, right. It's okay. Um, other albums, you know, even like they might be giants. I, I love them. Uh, they had like, uh, an album, God, it's so long ago. I forgot the name of it. But, you know, one or two songs I would like, eh, they're okay. Now, The Wall has one or two songs that are just, they're not really songs. They're like just transitions from one song to another, kind of. But because it's a story, it it has to be there and you can't skip over it to the next song. Mm. So that's really the only album that even if there's a song where it's like, eh, it's not the best song, but without it, it changes the dynamic of the album. Whereas like something like, I don't know, dark side of the moon, right on the run is, you know, whatever that song is like, nah, I could take it or leave it. There's a couple of songs on dark side of the moon that I'm just sort of like, you know, you know, uh, any color you like, I think is the name of one of them, one of them. But, um, you know, these songs I can just sort of skip over like, yeah, on the run, uh, any color you like, you know, whatever they're okay. But even us and them is okay. I don't know. It's not my favorite song. Okay. But, but then you get, obviously there's great songs on that album. There's money, which is probably uh, one of the classics because it's in seven for time. Yeah. And then Time, of course, Time and Money are the best songs on that album. But The Wall, you know, there isn't an, a song on there where I would say um, if this song wasn't on that album, it would make the album better, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That's what I got to say. I mean, I'm not saying that Dark Side of the Moon isn't fantastic, but there's just a couple of songs that are like, meh, I no, can do without them. I can respect that. I definitely appreciated the theatrical quality of the album. I like how it does tell the story. I like Which what, one? The Wall? The Wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate the story it does tell, particularly from the viewpoint of an artist and how they can feel alienated or disconnected and, you know, build up walls because i think that's one thing that happens is artists do tend to get into whatever baggage they carry and particularly since they deal with being on the road a lot and touring and conflict that's what can happen 
Yeah. And there's, I don't know if, if you know, like the movie, The Wall, right? Mm -hmm. There's this one scene in the movie, which um, you, you got to do a whole thing on the movie. The movie itself is fantastic. But there's a, one scene in the movie where the guy, uh, Pink, right? The main character, he's at the piano and he's, he's like in that space. You know, if you're a mu musician, you know what I'm talking about. Like you get into this zone, this space where you're not in this world, right? You're, you're in the musical world and you're just lost. And the wife comes home and she's just like having a conversation. And yeah, was the guy on drugs? Probably, you know, okay, fine. But I like to think he was just in that space. And so the wife comes home and tries to talk to him and he just doesn't respond, right? Mm. And then she's just like, you know, you could tell she's got that face like, you know what? Screw you, asshole, right? And she just and walks away. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like oblivious because he's like in this space. And then of course she ends up cheating on us. We'll get into that. But but that's there is an alienation that musicians go through because when they're in that creative mode and they're in their head you can't interrupt that. If you go and interrupt that, they've got to kind of come out of that state to then talk to you. And then get back into that state to get back into the creative mode. So you tend to like, there's like a transition period, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, people who aren't musicians don't understand that, you know, especially when you go see a, like you go see a, a, a live show and the musicians are up there and then they're done with their show. They're still sort of in that space. So when you go up and say, man, that was a great show. You guys are awesome. They're, they're sort of like, you can tell there's like emptiness in there. Because they're in the show. Because they're in that that space and yeah. they're in that zone. So, um, you know, when I used to play live shows, I would, I would be lost in that, and so I couldn't socialize very easily. Interesting. And so it was sort of uh, like you know you tend to I get isolated because you're sort of lost. And the more music was playing in my head, the more isolated I sort of became to the point where I used to call like. The music that was constantly playing in my head, I used to call it a curse. You know, it was a, a gift and a curse, oh. like being able to predict the future. Interesting. You know, gift and a curse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Telepathy and all that. That's right. Yeah. I was going to compare it more to the uh, <laughs> issue Mozart ran into and sure. his psychosis. Amazing. Well, I want to get into that a little bit more. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to get into more of the story of the wall, what it's about. A little bit of history of the band and then if there's time in that section maybe a little bit of q a q a all right we'll be back all right after these messages all right hey man i'm uh trying to find a podcast that'll tell me about the day in the life of a construction worker uh union representative or even a real estate agent, you know, just something where I can find out about the average, everyday person. You have any ideas? Oh, yeah, well, uh, you could always check out Lars Cast. I mean, he's great. He's got, uh, fellow UPS drivers. He talked to the union representative the other day. Uh, he talked to his mom. She's a real estate agent. He's really cool. Uh, he had his, uh, brother-in-law Sam on. He, I don't know what he does, but he, he's around. Anyways, yeah, it's a really good thing. Ooh, uh-oh, where can I find him? Oh, you can find him on Spotify or pretty much anywhere. Just look up Lars Cast. That's Lars Cast. He's also on Instagram. All right, later. Hey, Jimmy. Do you remember the other day when your son spoke fluent Spanish to give directions to that poor lost lady? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. He's pretty good. Well, how did he do that? Luke, I don't know anything. That kid's a genius. All I know is he watches Mr. Sid's classroom. Mr. Sid's classroom? Where? What is that? One tarnation. Where can I find Mr. Sid's classroom? Oh, that's just on YouTube. Go check it out. It's a great show. And we're back, continuing on the discussion of the wall. I have with me Mr. Sid Raspberry. Oh, you said it right. This I time. corrected myself. Good. So uh, <laughs> on our break, uh, we we're talking a little bit about 
something that Sid said, which I appreciated, which was not just the fact of angst or mental anguish that I think is, is a heavy topic that we brought up in the last episode about the Smashing Pumpkins, because that's what Billy Corgan wrote uh, a Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness about, was people suffering from depression and anxiety, particularly like mid-teenagers to early adulthood kind of dealing with that. Not musicians, though. I just, don't know. Just people. For, for people. But I, yeah. you know, I had this idea, at least for myself, because I dealt with that a lot being younger and being a musician. So I associated angst or whatever with musicians or with struggle. But I, I like what you said, because it's not necessarily true. Yeah. I mean, here, like the thing is, when a person's depressed, like music is an outlet, right? You can, you can express your depression through your music. And then, you know, if there's haters out there that can drive you further into your depression, but if there's people who like it, that actually can sort of give you a feeling like that, that you're not alone. But I, you know, as a musician, musicians have a different thing. Like, and maybe they don't, I don't know if they recognize it. I don't know. When I was, when I was young and I started having that the music in my head kind of curse and I started being unable to socialize because like when people would talk to me, I would, I, I could just, once I got a tune in my head and it started playing and I started hearing all the different parts, I disconnected from reality. So when people started talking to me, I'd, I'd be like, what? Like, huh? And they would look at me like I was on drugs. Right. And kind of leave me alone or, or bother me and, and interrupt me. In which case I would be like, like what? Like what do you want? Like almost like you're bothering me, which I didn't necessarily want to come across as, but um, but in the end, it was just one of those things, and and so it ended up creating just a like a disconnect between reality and people, and and so and you know social circles and all that, which I already was disconnected, but sure. in this case, it was more so, right? But yeah, I think. Musicians and any artist, I don't know if it's just musicians, but the problem with musicians is we hear it like it's in our head. And I, I'm talking generally because I'm assuming that's what happens with all musicians is the music is me. playing Absolutely. in their head. Right. Yeah. And um, they're hearing all the different parts. They're able to create on all the different parts with someone who's like a painter. Like I would imagine that that that's more visual instead of auditory, you know, mm -hmm. so it's not. They, they're not so much in their head they're they're or they are in their head but it's in their head visually instead of audio audioly audioly audiologically audiologically that's the technical yes. term for it <laughs> makes sense so yeah. you've grown up you've been playing for a long time is this something you that yeah. still occurs oh yeah but now i can now i can shut it off like when i was a, when i was in high school i couldn't shut it off once it turned on it was always there and it made me a very awkward kid and it made me, it made me, you know, different. People thought I was weird. Hmm. At least I thought people thought I was weird because people gave me weird looks. Um, but you know, I didn't really care. I just was, I was just kind of on my own. Um, but it wasn't until like, you know, I got married and I had my first child. I, I just made, I made a conscious decision to turn it off. Right. And I turned it off and I didn't play guitar for geez, 10 years, maybe 12. Wow. I just shut it off. And it wasn't until I went back, um, into teaching that I thought there'd be some use for it. And then I turned it back on. And so then now I can turn it off and on because I realize I can actually control it. And so when I want, so when I'm alone and I want to get into that space, I can just put myself there. And then when my wife comes home, instead of waiting for her to interrupt me and then getting upset with her because she doesn't understand what I'm feeling. <laughs> you don't <kid> me, man. <laughs> um, I'll just like end off on it. Right. And then of course I've talked to my wife. So if she comes and interrupts me, I, I can, she knows not to interrupt me. And, and I know, okay, I should probably end off soon. So 
so that I can interact with her. And, you yeah. know, because she likes interacting with me. Of course, that's why she married you. That's right. Not just I am for her the world. Talent. I believe that this <laughs> may or may not be true, knowing, knowing your wife. <laughs> yeah. So there you're at least a consonant. Yeah, that. That's right. Not even a small not, one. You're a big one. No, no, I might be Australian. <laughs> not even Australia is big enough. It's, it's big fine. Enough. Awesome. So uh, one last question, and we'll kind of talk about the background of the, the album and the band. Mm-hmm. Um, my opinion, when I've heard you play, mm-hmm. the band that I've heard the most influence out of has been Primus. Yeah, Primus is amazing. Primus changed my life. Now, did they change my life like The Wall did? No. But The Wall changed my life because the drummer, the guitar player, the keyboard player, we'll we'll get into The Wall. But Primus, man, the first time I heard them was live. I went to go see some obscure band. I don't know who it was. And I was high and whatever. And um, I, it was at the... Um, it wasn't at the Fillmore. I forget where it was. It was at some small club and Primus was opening and here they come. And Les Claypool was like, my jaw was on the ground. Mm -hmm. Like he was so amazing playing the bass and singing, which I could never pull off. Like I can sing and play guitar, but, and I can sing and play drums and I can sing and play like, a harmonica, which most people can't do because, you know. It's the blowing and the singing. That, that makes it kind of hard, <laughs> I right. imagine. The, the sucking and the blowing right. and the singing. <laughs> but I could never play bass and sing. And watching him go. Oh, yeah. He's, is, a, he's amazing. He's on another level. Well, he's, he's not just playing rhythm. He's playing lead and bass. Right. Like, right. The guy's insane. And then, of course, um, you know, um, Tim Alexander, the drummer, he is amazing. And complimented uh les claypool just incredibly and uh you know larry lalonde the guitar player he's okay like he 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 was necessary but he was you know <laughs> he was there he too. was there <laughs> people sort of say he's like this amazing guitar player he's, he's okay but his sound was perfect for primus right right and and what he played was perfect for primus but don't, let's not kid ourselves. He wasn't the front man. No one was watching him. His sounds were kind of in the back to Les Claypool, who was just a madman on stage. And I bought their first demo tape called Suck On This. And uh, I got it uh, on cassette. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then that was, that was incredible. And then I got a CD of it later, but. Then I got Frizzle Friend, so they were great. So when I play bass, I try to emulate Les Claypool. Okay. And then when I play guitar, I try to emulate um, David Gilmour okay. as the lead guitar. When I play rhythm guitar, I emulate Frank Black, if you know who that is. I'm the Pixies. He's from he's from the Pixies. Yeah, he actually uh, is my favorite like songwriter and rhythm guitar player. He's great. He's fantastic. And then when I play drums... I emulate Nick Mason, who's the drummer of Pink Floyd. Right? Okay. So two of my my instrument playing influences are Pink Floyd. Right. That was going to be my question. Does anybody influence your writing, like how you write your lyrics or how you compose your songs or your rhyming scheme or anything like that? <sighs> well, Roger Waters and his lyric writing have influenced my my writing. They Might Be Giants influences my writing, um, my my lyrical writing. Even, but even like the Dead Milkmen, right? Who write like little punk songs um, or influence. And honestly, like, I don't know. I get influences from anywhere. With with lyrics, my influences can come from anywhere. Because like I was watching the movie Holes, right? And um, there's a song in that movie. I don't know if you've watched that movie. Like four times. Yeah. It's like, a great movie. It's a great movie. So there's a movie where um the the woman i forget her name um uh lipstick woman that's her uh, name. kissing kate barlow yeah. right she is in the schoolhouse and um sam the you know black dude who at that time you couldn't you know she's white he's black you couldn't commingle uh they're kissing and there's a song playing at that moment and it's just beautiful and it just i hear the song the rhyme scheme of the song and then I just 
wrote a song from that, right? Huh. I go to a Primus concert, I hear a song, I hear the rhymes or just something, and I just write some lyrics that kind of, I don't know, emulate that. And then I hear Frank Black and, or, you know, they might be giants. And I just, if a song hits me and I just feel the, like, the feel of it, and I internalize that feel, then I can just write my own words with a similar feel. Awesome. You know? Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. You okay if we talk a little bit about the history of the band? I know you have some. Which band? Pink Floyd. Oh, is that what we're here to talk about? Because well, I wanted to talk about something about, else. I thought we were talking about Primus. Oh, no. I thought we were here talking about Christmas, but we could talk about Pink Floyd if you want. Christmas is coming. Yes. Um, <laughs> so <clears throat> I, you have a theory about Pink in the wall, which I want to get to. Okay. So, I mean, my understanding of the, the album is it came from – God, was it the Flesh tour? They were on tour. They were feeling alienated. They are going through what you described as artists. Um, really? I never knew any of that. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Remember, I didn't know them until I, I saw after they broke up. So I was like, I was going backwards. I never, oh, yeah. I was never a fan of theirs as they were, you know, when, when the wall came out because I, I was still in my own world not yeah the musical world right well here's what it says it says pink floyd played in the flesh tour bassist well obviously they did um bassist and singer-songwriter roger waters despised the experience feeling the audience was not listening and that many were too <laughs> far away to see the band yeah. he said it became a social event rather than a more controlled and ordinary relationship between musicians and an audience Interesting. Anyway, come on, we all have a role to play sure um, some audience members were setting up firecrackers. I mean, I get it. It it's crazy. Look, they were. I mean, they were psychedelic bands. So what do you what do you expect? People I would like, expect. I would if I saw people lighting up fireworks at my concert. I I'd would, be like, yeah, yeah, like there we go. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, there was one point where David Gilmour refused to perform a final encore. This is great. And sat at the soundboard, leaving the band with backup guitarist Snowy White. To improvise a slow, sad twelve-bar blues. What? Yeah, really? But, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Read the part about David Gilmore. What did he do again? Uh, guitarist and songwriter uh, David Gilmore refused to perform at a final, a final encore, That's and sat lame. at the soundboard, leaving the band with the backup guitarist Snowy White. That's lame. So he did twelve-bar blues. Snowy White, like imagine him. He'd be like, "Yeah, <laughs> this is my chance." <laughs> <laughs> but he did a twelve-bar blues. With some music to go home to. So, huh. I don't know. I don't know what the band was going through at the time. Well, here's but... here's what I think. I mean, like, the original creator of the band was Sid Barrett. He created the band. In fact, that's who I'm named after. Um, so, Sid Barrett creates a band. He gets Nick Mason, Roger Waters, and Rick Wright. That's the four. Okay? So, they create an album, which, to be honest... I, it wasn't that great. I wasn't like, wow, this is amazing. It was just a whatever album. It was, it was fine, right? I mean, Roger Waters talks about uh, Sid Barrett as though he was this creative genius. I don't see it, but whatever. Sid Barrett does too much LSD, right? And goes nuts, right? Which I don't understand the whole musicians having to do drugs thing. Like in my... I have never written a better song on drugs than I have so, like sober. Like true. Like the my best songs are written when my mental faculties are at their best. I Not, would tend to agree. Yeah. So I don't understand like the when musicians like say oh they they use drugs and that, that gives them creativity. That's BS. They're just they're just using that as a as a crutch. So anyway, Sid Barrett was probably like that. He needed all this LSD in order to feel like he was being creative, you know, and, you know, as a musician, you can go to it through a creative rut, but that doesn't mean that you need drugs to pull you out of it. Just, you know, you need other influences. You need other inspirations, you know, listen to other music and you get inspired. Like that's, anyway, that's my opinion. You can like it or not. I don't care. Anyway. Um, so he had to go cause he was like, he, he went nuts. Right. So they needed to replace him. So they replace 
this guy who wasn't a very good guitar player with David Gilmore, who might just be the, the guitar player with the most feeling of any guitar player I've ever listened to, especially like when he does solos, right? But even in his rhythm parts, there's so much feeling. Anyway, so they replaced him with that, okay? Well, after Sid Barrett's, Sid Barrett is quote unquote pink, right? If you want to, if you want to say who started the band, that's pink, right? So he leaves, Roger Waters takes over as the songwriter. David Gilmore comes in. But I could imagine people at the concerts looking at David Gilmore with awe and just like this guy and his guitar playing is incredible, you know? And he's Pink Floyd. Like he's, he is who it is, right? And then Roger Waters probably getting jealous because, you know, Roger Waters, I don't know. I have my theories, but, um, you know, a little overly sensitive, I think. But he had to insist that he was pink. And he probably got egged on by some of his friends. Hey, hey, hey people think, you know, David Gilmore is like the, the face of the band. Like, what about you? You're the guy who writes the songs. And so he had to insist to put his name on all the songs that he wrote. And he had to insist like that he was pink. Like, you know, in the album, you know, Wish You Were Here, he like, you know, there's this line, like, oh, by the way, which one is pink? Which sort of tells, like, in my opinion, like, there's probably someone who is sort of, like, pitting them against each other. Like, which one of you is pink? Which one of you is really the leader of the band? And since David Gilmore was more technically amazing and Roger Waters was more creatively amazing, like, they both were, they both needed to be there. And... But to be honest, Nick Mason's drums, like you put in another drummer and it's not the same. And uh, Rick Wright's, you know, keyboard playing, like find another keyboardist and it's just not the but same. Didn't he get fired at the end of that album? Who? Rick Wright? At the end of The Wall? Yeah. Uh, maybe. I mean, he came back. After The Wall, there was an album called The Final Cut. It's atrocious. I've heard about it's that. It's yeah. horrible. It's the worst album ever. Like every time you think it's going somewhere, it just stops and doesn't go anywhere. It's like the worst album. Uh, and maybe he was fired for that. I don't, I don't know. No, he was. It says here. I mean, I don't know. Then again, I'm not doing the most in-depth research. That's fine. He came back for uh, for a momentary lapse of reason. Uh, but in the end, like it was an ego trip. Like who's pink? Like, and And I suspect there was someone pitting them against each other probably – Someone who had a vested interest was like, dude, David Gilmore's getting all the credit for your songs. And and David Gilmore's like, dude, like, you know, uh Roger Waters can't even tune his own guitar without a guitar tuner, you know. And that that got the whole rumor that Roger Waters was tone deaf, which I heard that rumor and I was like, I thought that was amazing. Like, wow, this guy's tone deaf and he's writing all these great songs. <laughs> but he wasn't tone deaf. He just couldn't tune his own guitar without a tuner. Right. Where Roger Water where uh, David Gilmore could. And so, you know, the rumor was that they made fun of Roger Waters and they quote unquote bullied him. I'm like, what? Come on. It was probably, they, you know, banter and, and someone else like digging it in. And, you know, because there's haters out there that just like to dig that stuff in and, yeah. and pit people against each other and destroy. Or they're jealous or have yeah, a vested interest. That's right. They have vested interest or they're jealous and they like, or, or they just want to destroy something that's, that's wonderful and aesthetic. Yeah. You know, you know, there's people out there like that. I mean, yeah. look at our culture. How many, look at out there. There's so much destruction of things that are aesthetic. Like our culture has become ugly. Like, like good lookingness ha is being destroyed for ugliness. And it's, I don't know what to say about that. I'm constantly looked down on for my good looking. <laughs> constantly. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Hey, so we're going to do another quick little break. Uh, a so quick can, break or a little break? A little bit of both. Okay. Kind of a long, quick break. And then we'll get back at this with, I'm going to ask you some questions okay. about your thoughts and feelings and emotions. Uh, and emotions. then we'll send out some acknowledgments for people who have contributed. Okay. We'll be back. All right. <laughs> With the holidays coming up, you might be wondering, what do I get my wife for Christmas? 
What is the perfect gift? Well, I've got the right idea for you. Don't worry about jewelry, clothes, shoes, or purses. Get her the one thing she'll truly want. The latest music by Teenage Devil Dolls, available at Bandcamp and Spotify. Check it out today. And we're back with the Deep Notes. We are coming back with Sid Raspberry. That's right. Uh, we're getting towards the end of our programming slot for the evening. I wanted to wrap up the night with some questions. Well, we didn't even really talk about the wall. We did talk about the wall. Did we? Do you have anything else you want to say about the wall? Um, geez, I guess not. It's a good wall? It's a good wall. Um, yeah, I think my favorite... My favorite song on the wall is Hey You. Such a good it's song. Such a good song. Such a good I mean, song. you know, Comfortably Numb, you know, that's a that's a classic. Yeah. Um, you know, the another brick in the wall, and we don't need no education. That's a classic. But Hey You, man. Yeah. God, it's so good. It's not Hey You Man, it's Hey You. It's not Hey You Man, no. It's just Hey You. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Which is why the movie left me a little disappointed. I'll, yeah. leave, I'll leave you with that mystery sandwich. So, but would you recommend the movie? Yes or no? Oh, well, yeah. No, you have to watch the movie. And if you do watch the movie, you have to turn it up because the movie isn't about the movie. It's about the music and it's the visual effects to the music. So you have to have it on like full blast, like a concert. All right. But we can talk about the movie another time. Uh, that'd be a good uh, follow-up episode. Maybe yeah. we can get Owen on next time. Yeah. Talk about the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The movie's great. <laughs> we were supposed to have a second guest this evening, but he was I've unable s- to attend. Oh, I've got things to say about the movie. But it's okay. It we're gonna, we're, that's going to be our season. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for some uh, rapid fire questions? Sure. Give me some questions. All right. Here's the first question. All right. So we talked about a lot. Seven. Thank you. Was that the answer? That was perfect. Okay. You can go home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we talked a lot about a lot of artists who influenced us, but who would you like to. Who would you like to hear on the show? Like, who would you like to find out about who influenced them? Um, you know, there's a, a band I love called the Dead Milkmen. I actually went and saw them, and we got backstage and got to hang out with them. They're, they're so funny. So you know how, like, a band, you would imagine, like, a band, like Pink Floyd. You get backstage, and you hang out with them, and they're probably, like, like who are these wankers? Like let's get them out of here, you know, kind of mm-hmm. the attitude, I'm sure right? That's what they sound like. Right. <laughs> but the dead milkman, when we got backstage, there were there were like, there's people here, like we get to hang out with. Okay. And they were like, came up to us and we're talking, and me and my friends, and we were just chatting with them, and they were just so like happy that there were people that that were at their show and liked their music. And so that would be fun to interview. Um, Frank Black, I would love to interview Frank Black. That'd be Frank amazing. Black would be amazing. When we get Frank Black on the show, you'll be with me. Yeah, and any and any like they might be giants. Les Claypool, um, uh, the Pajama Slave Dancers, that would be awesome. The, uh, my band uh, played with them at one point. Um, they're great, um, and um, I think that's it. Oh. Did I say Primus? Uh, you just said it. You yeah. said yeah. No, you. Less just said it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. You and played- I, I guess, I guess Roger Waters and I. You know, I would like to get Roger Waters and David Dil- Gilmore <laughs> in here and just be like, "Yo, what's up? What's the deal, you two? Hash it out. Hash it out. Yeah, That'd I could, be neat. I could be their chaplain. All right. Well, I will start with Dead Milkman Society. I will personally tag them in at least three Instagram posts. Okay, they're not society. It's just the Dead Milkman. Dead Milkman. I will tag them in at least three posts. Okay. And if they don't respond, they'll give up. Punk Rock Girl. Come on. You've heard of it. Yeah. No? yeah Punk yeah. Rock Girl? Yeah. Excellent. That's their, that was their hit. They've got great. They, they're so politically incorrect. It's well, fantastic. I'll, I'll listen to their, <laughs> their, their, one of their albums first. And then okay, good. we'll go from there. And I'll have you with me. When okay, great. Them. Hopefully next week. <laughs> All, right. All right. So what do you think is next in music? Like what trends do you see coming? What do you think we're going to see coming out? We see a lot of like. Um, like Elton John is teaming up with more pop artists. I think we're seeing more pop style music come out of people who were traditionally rock. Yeah. You know what I don't like? I don't like Weezer turning pop. 
I don't like 21 Pilots turning pop. Like here's some bands <laughs> that were great. Like Weezer, when, when Pinkerton came out, it was fantastic. And then they just went, I don't, what, what the heck happened to them? And then 21 Pilots comes out and they were just so good. And then what the hell happened to them? Right. And I, I hate to say this, but would Nirvana have gone that direction? Like would Kurt Cobain have gone in a pop direction? Cause when, um, in utero came out, that was more hardcore, more grunge than, um, the first album. And then would they have gone pop? Like, I hate seeing bands like go pop. Would you agree though that they have to? I mean, I feel like there's an aspect of they have to stay alive in the industry. I mean, look no. at look at Sugar no. Age. Like no. Sugar Age is a classic example. They were more on the hardcore, like soft metal or metalcore, and then they went absolutely pop. Yeah, but no, it it's unnecessary. In fact, that's why the term sellout was created. It's not you're not a sellout because you sign your your band to a label. You're not a sellout because you like all of a sudden make it big you're a sellout when you change the vision of your band for the sake of like teeny bopper fans and and money like i get it like you want to make it your career but i thought i thought it was about the music to quote school of rock right it's 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 about the music right so if you're like creating a certain sound and a certain kind of music and then you go pop because it expands your audience and you make more money. That's, that's, I don't like that. And I, I see it going that direction and it makes me sad, sad and tired. Where's that from? You. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's from Sid. Raspberry. It just, it, yeah. I would like to see more pop artists going harder core, okay. punk, like going punk, going metal, going in that direction. Like, can you see like Taylor Swift, instead of doing like a, like a folk album or country album, like doing like hardcore punk, like that would be awesome. <laughs> I or, mean, that'd be cool, but she'll do anything if there's a big enough paycheck. <laughs> okay, fine. But you get my point. You, yeah. you hear what I'm saying? Like, like pink. Like right. pink. Oh, that'd be great. Should go love, hardcore. I would love to see that. Right? She should go away from from pop and go into like either hardcore metal or punk or something like that. Because, it, like, you just look at her. That that uh, that's her calling. It, it seems I can like. see her with some like vocal fry, just like yeah. ripping it up. Like she, that would be awesome. And <laughs> and would would some people like like all of a sudden be like, what the hell is this? Like, yeah, but but then there'd be those people who'd be like, yes, finally, like. Something pushing the edge, pushing the envelope. Have you you ever seen that uh, Black Mirror episode with um, Miley Cyrus? No, I haven't been. Uh, it's a great episode where she's a pop star and she goes like punk, and it's fantastic. Nice. And I look, I like when I saw that, I'm like Miley Cyrus, like yeah, like let's go. And then then she came out with her pop song, and I'm just like, damn it, doesn't match reality. Ah, uh, so yeah. But that's where I see music going. Is is Everyone seems to like, like auto tune and go pop. go auto tune and pop, and like I don't understand that. I don't understand auto tune. I don't. I don't get it. You can hear the difference, and it's just not aesthetic. It's not. It's not beautiful. Yeah, I think we can blame Cher for that. Really? Yeah, I think Cher. Cher was the first person to use an auto tune type um, program. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm going to see your uh, sources on that. Cause... It's called Wikipedia. Look it up. <laughs> Wikipedia is nothing. <laughs> it's not, there's no accurate information on Wikipedia. All right. So anyway, next question. I'm going to get really political Eight. here. Thank you. I'm going to ask you a question that you may have such a long answer for. Uh -oh. It will force us into another break. Yikes. It really piss the audience off. Uh -oh. What would you like to see happen or change in the music industry? Nothing. Next question. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, mind you, you're <laughs> under oath. <laughs> well, I mean, the radio is still an important part of the music industry, and the radio. I mean, I, I go through my stations, and it's Chinese, 
Spanish pop. And then like there's one maybe like hard rock or classic rock station and that's it. Yeah. Right now. Why is that? You know, and, and that's the industry. Like, yeah. Can you download everything on, from Spotify? Sure. Can you, you know, upload whatever you want on YouTube or on Bandcamp? Sure. But how about the radio? Like I want a station that plays punk or that plays metal or that plays, you know, classic rock. So that I can like, you know, and yeah, either satellite radio and sure you can like do that, but I'm just talking about the regular radio. Like what's up with that? And I would like the music industry. I don't know. I was going to say like, I would like them to do that, but if the money is in pop, then they're always going to go to where the money is. Sure. Well, I mean, I understand. Locally, there's a radio station 105.3. Yeah, I listen it, to that. It was the last bastion of hope for alternative in the Bay Area. Yeah. And then it was bought out like some conglomerate corporation, purchased the broadcaster, and turned it into Dave FN. And they play random old music. Occasionally, you might hear a Nirvana song, but like one out of every 200 songs. Honestly, I hear more rocking grunge on Alice um, mm. than I do on 105.3. Right. And they were like the the rock station. You have 107.7, the classic station now, which we're old, so we our music isn't classic. But, you know. Right. Absolutely. It would be nice yeah. to, to It'd know. It would be nice because now I, I don't listen to the radio anymore. I listen to everything either on Amazon Music or YouTube Music and, like, have to know the band because I'm not going to – I don't sit there and do searches to find new music because yeah. I don't invest a lot of time, but I do appreciate Spotify for that reason. Yeah. Um, they, you know, the way you can grade the playlist and if you're looking up things and sure, it got, I started to listen to more metal over the last few years and it really helped me out with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, okay. that answers that. That wasn't so bad. <laughs> I'll ask you one more question and then we'll uh, start wrapping up for the evening. What do okay. you say? Yeah, it's fine. All right, good. What role do you feel music plays in society? Wow, that's I pop music is is so sexualized. Well, first of all, society uh, has become so overly sexualized. Um, there's so much attention on sex. And you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I you know, I I did hear, you know, songs on the radio and they were mostly about dancing, like, you know, late seventies, right? 70 stuff. It's like, yeah. like, let's get on the dance floor. Let's dance. Let's dance. Anyway, boogie fever, boogie fever, all that. Right. But then it became all about <clears throat> sex and like, like, you know, and it, it was love, but, but now it's mostly about like sex and our culture has become obsessed with sex and obsessed with like indulging in whatever sexual fantasy or idea you have. And that's not actually healthy. And music, I don't think music is pushing it. I think there are other elements in our society that push this, but music is supporting it. Music is dovetailing it. It's flanking it. Sure. What's another word? It's, it's driving next to it on the road. It's, it's encouraging encouraging it it's the tree next to the other tree that's the prime example trying to get more but um (laughs) it's just it's just another another influence in a whole string of influences and you know it, it makes it actually like it repels me it doesn't make me look at it like an art form you know it makes me look at it like I mean, it makes me it makes me feel that music is just another political tool to push certain ideas in society instead of music being this separate thing that's just aesthetic and beautiful and, you know, a release right from the, the day to day. You know, you, you know, you go to work, you come home you, on your way home, you listen to music and you're supposed to be feeling like unwinding with the music and, and, and in this bliss with the music. And instead it just further pushes like the degradation of our society. And that's, that's, 
unfortunate because, you know, when I, when my head was filled with music, I was lucky that it was filled with, with Pink Floyd, right? I got lucky that, um, you know, like my first song was, you know, first songs were, you know, 80 songs that weren't all sexualized. Like, it, right. you know, Motley Crue wasn't the first band I heard. <laughs> Imagine if they were, right? Yeah. Um, instead, I heard these other artists that were actually artists. And sorry, Motley Crue, but I just don't find that to be artful. I think right? Tommy Lee would take offense. But I'm that's sorry, fine. Tommy, but that's my opinion. And I can have my opinion. Well, when he's on the show Uh-oh. next week. Oh, oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk. But um, but uh, I don't know. I just, I find that it, it has taken an art form and turned it into something ugly, which again goes back to what I was saying about like, like beauty is being seen as negative and ugliness is being seen as like necessary. And I just... I wish that wouldn't happen with music because music, you know, has helped me through breakups, has helped me through my own anger issues, my own sadness issues, you know, everyone that everyone goes through and music was there for me. And, you know, even when I was going through my angry issues and all I would listen to was Guns N' Roses, you know, it was there for me. Um, Not to say that Guns N' Roses was artistic because all they did was sing about drugs. Huh. And then I started to never mind. <laughs> um, but but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it you know, okay. It's it's there needs to be at least an outlet from the mainstream music. Righteous. Yeah. And you know, I've I I've listened to some bands that are that are like that. Um, you know, uh, I have a friend who uh, you know, is in a band and they 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 play stuff that kind of doesn't go in that direction. And I appreciate bands that don't just sing about sex and, and drugs and things like that. So, sure. you know, yeah, yeah, I can appreciate that. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. That was a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, <laughs> maybe your friend can be on the show. Is it Jamie from Shushu? No. Oh no. He was my friend. Yeah. But yeah, uh, still no. is. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he'll come and be on your show. You invite him on the show. Well, Owen is the one with the, with the connection with that oh, guy. Fine. Check out, uh, what's his name? Jamie Stewart. Jamie Stewart from yeah. Shushu. We went and saw him live. It was really good. He's actually really good. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah. I'll check out his music. Hopefully yeah. I can contact him before he moves to Germany. I heard they're going to Europe. Really? That's what Owen told me. Oh. All right, good. So we're going to wrap up for the evening. Okay. Uh, as part of our procedure, we're going to send out some thanks, a few shout outs, do a little promotion, and then the last thing we'll do is end off with our new catchphrase. How's that sound? We have a catchphrase? We do now. Oh, okay. Yeah, with all the promo going out, you'll see the catchphrase. Nice. So first off, I'd like to thank my favorite YouTube channel, Mr. Sid's Classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, It's educational. It's delightful. If you've never seen it, look it up. It's called Mr. Sid's Classroom on YouTube. Have you seen it? Uh, No. You should check it out. It's quite (laughs) amazing. (laughs) I would like to thank the Teenage Devil Dolls. This is Owen Raspberry, Sid's son, who uh, is also your drummer for your band right now. Uh, He produced the music you heard at the start of the episode. Um, He's fantastic. He keeps on producing his own self-published albums. He's available on uh, Bandcamp, all over Spotify, Spotify, Apple Music. I think you can get them everywhere. Yeah, and you can get merch. Don't forget the merch. Oh, the merch. I have one of everything, just yes, so you know. Good. I have his shirts. I have his mankinis. <laughs> I have everything. He keeps trying to do vinyl <laughs> records, but I don't know. I He's got CDs now, too. Anyway, yeah, go on. I have like two or three of them. Really? Yeah. I would like to <laughs> thank and promote Lars Cast. Uh, he got me into podcasting. You can find them on Spotify at Lars Cast. He's also on Instagram and Facebook at Lars Cast. That makes sense. I think you might have a WordPress now. Just look up Lars Cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple, three bands actually I'd like to give a shout out to. Okay. One is Huckleberry's Dolphin. Oh yeah, that That's was right. my my band. Check them out on Spotify. Yes. The other one is The Walkin' Walkers. Yeah, that was my band. Check them yes. out on Spotify, I think. Yeah, no, yeah, they're there. Presumably. I, yeah. And then I they're, also... They're, the album is Huckleberry's Dolphins, Blobby 3, and, and The Walkin' Walkers was Force It Down. Force It Down. Yes. It's like medicine. Yes. Uh, I'd actually like to give a shout out to um, my friends uh, at W.D. Han. W.D. Han. They're a band in Los Angeles. Uh, they've known them for years and years. I was just chatting with their guitarist. He 
said maybe he'll do an interview with us with the band. That'd be fantastic. Nice. They are launching a new album here shortly, so check it out. Uh, pick it up, listen to it, um, promote it, send it to everybody. And, of course, uh, check me out on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. I am The Deep Note. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Deep Note. If you want to send in an email, request any albums to be talked about, any artists, anything like that, you can get me at DeepCast, Deep Note Cast. Sorry, Deep Note Cast. Say it right. Deep, deep Note, note cast, cast at gmail.com. Okay. All right. That's the end of the shout outs. As always, ladies and gentlemen, rock on with your socks on. And listen to the wall. Yes. Is that your catchphrase? Yeah, rock on with your socks on. <laughs> <laughs> Good night.